Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Freehoff Institute of Progressive Halakha. I'm Rabbi Mark Wachowski with the 12-minute shiur number 44, Deception, Creating a False Impression. We're working from a source sheet that you can download at our website, www.freehoffinstitute.org slash podcast. Now, by deception, we don't mean outright lying. We're focusing instead upon speech or actions that are not lies, that may seem unobjectionable, yet create a false impression in the mind of another person. The term for this sort of deceptive behavior is, and we're on line one of the source sheet, genevat da'at, literally theft of the mind. In other words, deception is a tort, an infringement, a kind of nezek or damage. When I deceive you, I'm stealing from you. I'm stealing your da'at or your mind. More precisely, da'at means mental capacity, the ability to make reasoned, informed decisions. To have da'at means that one can be thoughtful and intentional about the actions they take in the world. And that means that they can be held responsible for their actions. Persons who lack da'at, like, for example, the legally insane or like children, lack the capacity to make responsible decisions. To steal someone's dot, therefore, is to exile them to the margins of the community, to rob them of their legal maturity and adulthood. That's why genevat da'at, deception, is a tort. It injures and lessens the personhood of another, even if it causes them no material damage. So it's no surprise that the halakha prohibits deceptive behavior. In particular, Rambam, in the Mishnah Torah, we're on lines 5 through 7, puts the prohibition in clear and unequivocal language. It is forbidden to deceive others, even a non-Jew. Now, he's got much more to say in that paragraph, and we'll come back to it. Here, let's just note that while the classical halakha sometimes discriminates between Jews and Gentiles on matters having to do with interpersonal ethics, and that's something to which we progressives strongly object, in this case, due to the demand that we respect the basic personhood of the other, it is forbidden, even in classical halakha, to deceive anybody, Jew or non-Jew. Now, Rambam apparently derives his ruling from Talmud Hulin 94a, lines 10 and 13, which quotes these precise words, Asur lignov da'at in the name of the Amorah Shmuel. But the Talmud itself doubts that Shmuel, in fact, said them. We're on lines 15 and 21. V'had Shmuel lav befeirush itamar, ela michlala itamar. That's a technical term. The editors of the sugya or passage are raising a red flag. Shmuel did not explicitly say this, that it is forbidden to deceive people. That statement was inferred from an action that he took. Well, what action was that? De Shmuel havaka aval b'mabra. Shmuel was crossing a stream on a ferry boat. He said to his servant, pay the ferryman. The servant paid him, but Shmuel was angry. So, why was he angry? Well, Abaye and Rava, two later Amorayim, offer differing versions of the rest of the story, beginning on lines 18 and 25. According to Abaye, the servant paid the ferryman with a tangagolet trefa, a chicken that was physically defective or improperly slaughtered. 
but he let the ferryman think that the bird was in fact shechuta, properly slaughtered kosher. Meaning Shmuel was angry that the servant led the non-Jewish ferryman to think that the bird was more valuable to its Jewish owner than it actually was. Rava, meanwhile, says that Shmuel was upset because he told the servant to pay the fare with anpaka, wine, and the servant paid with diluted wine, while letting the ferryman think that he was receiving more valuable undiluted wine. Both explanations hold that Shmuel was angry because his servant created a false impression in the mind of the ferryman. So we can see why those who observed or heard about this action, this masse, could conclude that, in Shmuel's opinion, it is forbidden to deceive others. And from there, it's but a short step to reporting those very words in Shmuel's name. Well, if so, the Gemara wants to know, where in lines 30 through 33, what difference does it make? I mean, who cares if Shmuel actually said the words asur lignov da'at habriot, so long as we know that that's what he thinks, that he believes it's forbidden to deceive others. And the answer, lines 34 through 39, is that since Shmuel did not say these precise words, we could account for his anger in different ways. If the payment was in the form of a chicken, we could say that Shmuel was mad that his servant had kept forbidden meat in his possession, he should have gotten rid of it before now. If the payment was made in the form of wine, well, the word anpaka specifically means undiluted wine. So maybe Shmuel was angry not at the servant's deceptive behavior, but because the servant violated Shmuel's express instructions. Bottom line, says the Talmud, we have no, no conclusive evidence that Shmuel ever said the words asur lignov da'at habriot, for that matter, that he does hold that it's forbidden to deceive others. So, does this mean that Rambam's ruling has no Talmudic support? No, it doesn't mean that, because Rambam can rely upon another text, a baraita that also occurs in Hulin 94a. We're on line 42. Tanya, haya rabbi meir omer, al yisharhev adam lachavero lisod etzlo, v'yodea bo she'en soed. And line 46, a baraita, Rabbi Meir would say, one should not entreat another to have dinner with him when he knows that the other will not do so. One should not offer many gifts to another when he knows that the other will not receive them. And one should not open for another casks of wine that have already been sold to a dealer unless he informs the other of this. And one should not invite another to anoint himself with oil from an empty container. Now, you'll notice that we skipped the part of the Baraita text highlighted in bold font, and we'll get back to that. But right now, let's note that all of these prohibited actions are examples of deceptive conduct that does not result in a monetary loss. Conduct that's wrong simply because it is deceptive. They're examples of geneva da'at, even if the Baraita doesn't use that term. Rambam cites these examples in the text that begins on line 63, which is the continuation of his halacha, Hilchot Deot, chapter 2, halacha 6, that we began back on line 5. You know, the one that opens with the general principle that's attributed to Shmuel, asur lignov da'at habriot, it is forbidden to deceive others. 
Now, yeah, it's true the Talmud doubts that Shmuel ever said those words, but Rambam ignores the Talmudic discussion entirely. He uses this formula even if Shmuel didn't, because he thinks that the Talmud ultimately supports that general principle, it's wrong to deceive, and because the words asul ignov dat habriot work as a good descriptor for those things that the Baraita clearly tells us not to do. So now let's get back to those words in bold font. At the very end of the Baraita, we find the phrase, line 44, ve'im bishvil kvodo mutar, and line 50, but if he does these things in order to show honor to the other, it is permitted. That is, if your goal is not to deceive the other, but to show that person just how much you respect them, well, you know, that's a nice thing. We presume that the other person's okay with what you're doing, so it doesn't count as geneva dot. In other words, the very Talmudic source that prohibits deceptive conduct in the first place simultaneously limits or lifts that prohibition in particular circumstances. Yet when we look at Rambam's ruling, lines 63 through 78, we find that he omits the limitation. For him, Genevat Dad is always forbidden, no matter what, even when one intends the deception as a way of showing honor. Now, that looks like a clear misreading of the Talmudic text, which permits deception in those cases. Rabbi Yosef Karo, in his Kesef Mishneh commentary to the Mishneh Torah, usually explains Rambam's rulings, tries to anyway, by showing that they are supported by evidence from the Talmud. But here, he just can't do that. After quoting the Baraita's limitations to the rule that forbids deception, he throws up his hands, line 82. I wonder why Rambam did not mention this, that is, the limitations placed on the prohibition of deception. Well, so do we. And we might suggest that for Rambam, the prohibition of deceptive behavior is a moral principle that is so exalted that it can tolerate no exceptions, despite what the Talmud says. Uh, I mean, look at Rambam's language in lines 66 and 77. Va'afilu mila ahat shel pitui v'shel geneva da'at asur. Even one word of enticement or deception is forbidden. Instead, one should strive to speak the truth with a po proper spirit and a mind devoid of trickery and mischief. Wow, you know, that is a high, and we might even say absolute, standard of integrity. It doesn't leave any wiggle room. The minute you compromise your integrity, Rambam is telling us, you've lost it altogether. Even the exception stated in the Baraita of Rabbi Meir, namely, that we may practice a bit of deceit when our intentions are good, even that exception is destructive of the very idea of integrity. And so Rambam omits that exception from his code. Or at least that's our attempt to explain why Rambam did not mention those exceptions. Of course, there are problems with Rambam here. First of all, he does seem to be deciding the halakha in contradiction to his Talmudic source, the Baraita of Rabbi Meir. And second, he's calling us to a moral standard that uh, may be unrealistic for flesh and blood human beings who live in a complex world. In our next installment, 
we'll look at other sources and other authorities who regard the prohibition of Genevat Da'at as something and somewhat less than absolute. But for now, this has been the 12-minute shiur from the Freehoff Institute of Progressive Halakha. Thanks for learning with us. Lehitraot.